Hey, listen, I'm going to fess up. I'm 61 years old. Brings applause, brings applause, brings applause. Which makes me probably a little old, a lot older than some of you. Is there anyone here that's older than 65? Thank you so much for coming. That's, that's a really, really neat that you've done for me. And the reality is since I am 61 years old and I've been around this planet probably a lot longer than most of you, I've had a lot more stuff go on. I've had a lot of joy in my life, but I've had a lot of trials in my life too. And the reality is when you are my age, you've had more of a chance. And so your list of stuff grows pretty big. Do you want to hear some of my stuff? This is some of the trials that I have experienced since I have been here on this coil. I lost my dad when I was just 13 years old to a disease that they can now cure. And it was, so I grew up with a, without a dad, and that was pretty, pretty tough. I had the embarrassment of um, being invited to do year 11 for a second time. And so that was an interesting experience. Uh, became a teacher after that. I still don't know how that worked, but that's sort of how that worked. Uh, my sister was a real battler, and uh, she uh, finished up as a single mum uh, in our household. So that was uh, pretty difficult. Mum had a stroke when, I, when she was 56 years old, and she was incapacitated until uh, she died, and so we were dealing with that. I had a pretty major sports injury when I was around 22 years old, causing major damage to my face and my right eye, and it finished up my career. And following the accident, a whole bunch of unexplained things happened to my body, and for, for the next 20 years plus, uh, I was in and out of hospitals and clinics and every type of person you can imagine. How are we going here? Is there something I need to do there? Thanks, mate. Well, you, you just stand there and I'll just keep going. Oh, oh, you're right? Okay. How are we doing? That's good. How's that? Can you hear that okay? That's good. Cool. Okay. Um, my brother got divorced and he uh, lived with us for quite a while. Uh, Florina was diagnosed with breast cancer. She's doing really well though, so we're, we're cool there. I lost a little uh, grandchild, little Lily, uh, too, that was really sad and difficult. Um, I've been made redundant from a long-term job that seemed really, really secure, so suddenly we didn't have an income coming into the family. And there's been a whole stack of other stuff that's happened in my life. That's just a few of those things there too. And there are things that people don't even know about. Some of the most major trials in my life nobody knows about except my wife too. And there's one obvious one. I've worked with Shabu and Nathan for quite a while. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I should not have put Nathan on that list. It's okay. (laughs) Now, the reality is, the reality is that you have already started your list. It's already started. And I need to tell you, by the time you get to my age, it gets pretty big and it can be really difficult. But your list is just getting started. In fact, I'm very, very aware, even as I'm speaking tonight, that there are people here and I I can even see them and I know there are other people that are right in the middle of some trials right now in their life and it's really, really hard. And my prayer tonight would be that it's a blessing for you to hear the Word of God, and what God does in these trials. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, uh, for your Word, and we just pray that it would be clear tonight, Father. Uh, Help me to be clear in the way that I say things, Lord God, so that your Spirit might move here, that people might hear your message, and they might respond to that and be encouraged too, Lord God, to grow in their faith, but to rely on you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the reality is we live in the Genesis 3, Genesis 3 world. The world is broken, it's corrupt, it's messed up, it's full of sinful people like you and me. And uh, so we're going to experience trouble in our life. There's no avoiding it. It's going to come from our family, it's going to come from uh, our friends, it's going to come from our jobs, from our schools, from our unis. It's even going to come from things like criticism that's going to come our way, from betrayal that we will experience, from disease and illness that will come our way inevitably. 
and even possibly even persecution uh, too. And it'll even come in the form of death as it comes to people that are close by you that you know. And the older you are, the more people you know, and so the more people die that you know that are close to you. And it can be really difficult, particularly in certain circumstances. And even when you think trouble's just gone and everything's just really going good, again, you get your telescope out and you go, "Uh uh-oh, here comes another one, two, three. Because it can be absolutely relentless sometimes. Job 5.7 says, man is born to trouble. And then in chapter 14 he says, uh, man who is born of a woman, I think that's all of us, unless there's something really weird going on in this place. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. And then Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians, we are hard-pressed on each side. In other words, trouble is coming from everywhere. Psalm 22, 11, the psalmist says, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Trouble's inescapable. It's going to come, it's going to bang on your front door, it's going to run round the sideway, jump over the fence, get to your back door, and it's going to bang on that door as well. So as a Christian, what do we do with that? What's our response to that? What do we actually, how how do we handle it? Maybe we should pray. Maybe we should pray something like this. Lord, we know that you love us and you died for our sins and that you have promised us eternal life. We would ask, Lord, so that we can be your faithful ambassadors, that you would grant us a life free from any kind of trouble and trial so that we can do your good and perfect will without any hindrance. Lord, would you provide a golden highway for us, we pray. Sweep all our enemies out of the way so they don't even get within five k's of us. Amen. No. It ain't going to happen like that. The Bible tells us time and time and time again that it doesn't work like that for God's people. Excuse my snooty old nose here. The recording's going to be great. In fact, thank you, she's getting me a tissue. I love that. These trials are going to test. They actually have a purpose. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. You know, there's a number of confessing Christians and they are at the mindset, and you probably heard this, that the mindset is that being a Christian should be really comfortable, it should be easy, it should be full of uh, health and wealth and, and material possessions and blessings, and that's what they pray for. You can hear this false gospel preached in a number of places. In fact, if you turn your TV on at the wrong time in the morning, you might come against guys like Joel Osteen, who's talking to 45,000 people in his church all who are the description of what 2 Timothy 4.3 describes. Listen to this. This is the type of people. For the time will come when the people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They don't want to know anything about trials. They don't even want it to be there. They just want good things coming to them. And they're even told by these teachers that, hey, if you want these good things, you can speak those words and that will come into your life. And this is a false gospel. Thank you so much, Beth. You're a ripper. And if I'm busy, if you could hold it and I'll blow my nose, that'd be great. (laughs) Just not kidding. Okay. And so uh, we have these things going on. If you ever hear that sort of preaching, you need to run for the hills. This is a false gospel. Trials are going to come. We're told that it's a false gospel. Run. And those teachers are going to be held accountable to God for the things that they're teaching. It's not easy If you ever heard that being a Christian is easy, it's not. Christian is not for being a wimp. John 16, 33 tells us, in this world you will have trouble. Thank you, Grace. In this world you will have trouble. And it goes with us. It's either here or it's on its way. If if you've got a Bible, turn it to the book of Semaj, uh, which is James backwards. That's how we've been doing the series, apparently. (laughs) And finally, we've arrived at chapter 1, which is really good. And just a bit of a background, really short background. James, as we heard, he's the half-brother of Jesus, okay? But not only has he grown up with him, he's a skeptic. 
He doesn't even believe Jesus' claims of what he's saying about himself. Okay, And he's even challenged him on that. But after the resurrection, everything changes and he sees that what Jesus has been saying and claiming about himself is absolutely true. And even more so, Jesus appears to James even before he appears to the apostles. And I reckon that's really gracious of him. And you know, if there's one thing that's likely to convince your unbelieving brother of your claim of being God's son, the saviour of the world, the Messiah, it's dying a brutal and savage death in public in front of his eyes, having him buried, and then a few days later appearing right before him as a resurrected body. That's going to do it. It had to do it for me, and it certainly did it for my brother James. James then went on. He became a, a great leader in the church and is eventually martyred for his faith, and that gives him great credibility when we're talking about what we're talking about tonight. What are we talking about? Trials. If you've been martyred for your faith, rest assured that you have had trials in your life. Let's read the passage together, and I'm really hoping I'm getting an eye operation in August of 21, and I'm going to drill a hole in that eye, and they're going to put some stuff in so I can read properly. I've got big print, and I'll see how I go. If I start sounding like a heretic, it's because I'm missing the words, okay? Here we go. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then up to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. A summary of that whole deal would go something like this. Trials will come. Consider it all joy, because God is good. Trials will come. Consider it joy. That's the really hard bit right there. Because God is good. First verse, let's have a look. So James, a servant of God. Interesting that he didn't put down James, the uh, brother of God. He didn't put that. James, a servant. He knows his place. Servant, slave of God. And it talks about to the dispersion. Some of you know already. The dispersion means the Christians were being persecuted, so they were scattered all over the nations. Sounds bad, except it was in God's plan. Because what it meant was it was really the start of the journey for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And it's got to Australia. And that was really good news. And we continue that journey. Now, by, oh, by the way, in this passage, James doesn't actually talk about any specific type of trial. He doesn't say to the dispersion, this is all about persecution or this is all about something else. Okay. In fact, uh, it talks about a various type of trials. And that's great for us because it's really applicable because in this room, the trials that we're going through are various kinds. There's nothing specific. We're all um, involved in some sort of trials. We're going through them or they're coming or they've been in the past. Verse 2, let's go. Count it all joy! My brothers and sisters, count it all joy when, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds. The NIV says, consider it pure joy, pure joy when you face trials. Is James crazy? Is he crazy? What's he talking about? 
Is anybody freaking out yet? Because in the first sentence we're reading, it says it's got the word joy and trials in the same sentence, and it's like they're friends and they're holding hands and there's something good about that. And what can happen to Christians when they read this verse, and there's a couple others that are coming on later, they can start to have doubts about their own faith because they're thinking back to trials that they've been in or ones that they're in right now, and they start thinking things like, I, I, I didn't feel joy when, when that was happening to me. How come, I did, how come I didn't feel joy? Is, this, is there something wrong with me? Does, it, does this mean I don't even belong to God? You know the sporting action I mentioned before? The sporting action, what it was, was it was a baseball coming through my face from about a metre away, smashed me to smithereens, absolutely crashed me and done my eye in the whole, whole sort of deal. But, you know, as they were carrying me off, and I've got my new rearranged face with this new paint red job with, I think the colour was A positive, that they, they painted on it. When I was doing that, I felt... At no time that I was led by the Spirit to say to the guys carrying the stretcher, I just I need, need to let you guys know this. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> like, I don't know if I've felt this joyful for a long time. <laughs> Praise God. This is like, this is like, what? no. I was in terrible, terrible pain. And the next few hours were horrible. And then the next 20 years after that, when these attacks were happening, I spent time in the middle of the night walking the streets, trying not to fall down, bashing into things. I didn't feel joy in those moments. And again, when I held the lifeless body of my granddaughter, not so long ago now, I didn't feel joy in that moment. I felt anguish and there were tears as well. But then you, you go back and you look and you notice a couple of the words in the text and then it says, hang on. It says, count it all joy. Or it says, consider it pure joy. It, it doesn't say what's happening is joyful. And that's where we can be confused. In other words, see it as joy. Not necessarily in the moment, but it seems to be suggesting that something good has the potential to be happening here as a result of this trial that's going on. There must be something more James talked to me. And he does. So let's read on and see if there's a purpose for this seemingly crazy statement in verse 2. Let's have a look at verses 2, 3 and 4 if you've got them there, Signa. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in Nothing. Okay, so maybe that verse wasn't as crazy as we thought it was and there is a purpose. Because for, as a, for a Christian, if we genuinely want to follow Christ, let me say that again, young people and old people, if we genuinely want to follow Christ, then we need to understand very clearly that God does put trials and tests in our path. He does it deliberately and he does it for our benefit and our growth in him. He's not tempting us. Because that's not in his character. God does not tempt. Because temptation leads to evil, it leads to sin, and he will not lead us to that. But he does test. He puts our faith to the test, just like he did with Abraham. What sort of test is that? Here, Abraham, take your son to the top of the hill, light a fire, get the wood going, and then I'm going to get you to knife him. And what does Abraham do? He, he takes the son, he takes him up there, he builds the, offer, uh, uh, the, um, the altar, he ties his son up, he puts him down there and he lifts his knife and God says, you've passed the test. 
I know where your faith is. That's why he's known as a man of faith. The text tells us that when trials come, they're a test for our faith in God, which can produce steadfastness or perseverance. So let me ask you this, and I've been asking myself for the last few weeks as I've been studying this. What do you do when trials come? How do you react? What is actually your default position right now? Have a think about that. When trials come into your life, what is your default position right now? Do you turn to God and help for, you know, ask for guidance? Or do you turn in some other direction and maybe, you know, I believe you, God, I'm, I'm, I might just try this over here. I might go get some sort of book that might help me or something. I heard about a guy who went up to the counter of a bookstore and asked the lady at the desk, can you tell me where the self-help section is? And she said, if I tell you that, it'll sort of defeat the purpose, won't it really? <laughs> and so... Do you turn to something like that or do you turn to God? Turn to him, turn away from him. I think one of the biggest temptations when a trial comes along, and that's for probably most of us, is to leave God out of the mix, to forget about him and have the attitude, let me see if I can sort of fix, am I strong enough? To, I believe, we're a bit confused with that. There's no reward in that, there's no growth in your Christian walk in that. Trials test the genuineness of our faith when we turn to him and experience victory in that situation. It produces steadfastness and perseverance, and because of this, it actually uh, continues the process of maturing us in our faith. So, in a nutshell, trials are the pathway to our maturity as a Christian. Remember, if you're fair income, listen to this again, trials are the pathway to our maturity as a Christian, and that's why we should consider them pure joy because they're testing the genuineness of our faith and growing us closer to the likeness of Christ. I know that many of you, and I've seen this within our own congregation, I've experienced it myself, where you've gone through the heaviness of a trial, but you've allowed God to shape you while you were in the fire being refined. And now you look back and you see what God has done and you see how you've actually matured in him. You're closer to him than you've ever been. He's growing your faith and your perseverance and It is pure joy, a different sort of joy than you can experience. I've experienced it a few times, a number of times in my life where those things have happened. We've held on to God, our family in one situation. He's proved himself, we've persevered, and we can see at the end what he has done. Let's have a look at verse 5 together. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Now, this bit's really necessary right here, okay? Because now we're on the path of being matured by God uh, through these trials. And then verse 5 comes along and it shows us that trials make us aware of our need for God. You know yourself, something happens, hopefully the first thing you do is, is, is turn to God. So these trials make us aware of our need for God. So the trial hits and suddenly we realize that we need him. Okay, so if I have an injection of truth serum here, right? Okay, and I inject you all, and then I ask you to raise your hand if you feel less of a need for God when things are going pretty well in your life. How do you reckon we'd go with that? I reckon we'd have a lot of hands up, which would have the byproduct of working out who had the underarm deodorant and who didn't as well. Guilty. <laughs> I reckon that would be a bit of a problem. But as Christians, the trap we can easily fall into is just to sort of go along when things are going nicely and then suddenly you get hit out of this um, out of nowhere or you see it on the horizon uh, coming on. And so suddenly your helplessness becomes really exposed 
and you start crying out to God. So how does the Lord respond here? We've been told. How does he he say, well, (laughs) you didn't want me yesterday. So what's changed? No. No. Don't ask me why he does this because I still don't fully understand. But God in his love and his grace towards us says, if you lack wisdom in this trial, ask me and I will give it to you generously. What a God. I don't even know. I, I honestly sometimes don't even know why he puts up with us. But he does. And how does James tell us that he gives out this wisdom? Without reproach. And that means without despising our request. It's amazing. He's a God who stands with open arms, open hands, when we come to him. And if you've experienced that, you know how wonderful that is. Let's read on. Let's read verses 5 to 8 together. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Wow. That's really hard. Beth, can you come up, please? Come, come. I need you to come up. This is like... This is way too hard for me. Can you read like five to eight? It's way too hard for me. No, no, really. I want you to read five to eight. Just read it again. Yeah, verses five to eight, mate. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God to give generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubt, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Anybody else feeling inadequate like like me? No? Oh, you're nodding now. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on there? I'm thinking like, am I a failure or something? I mean, I mean God's just told us that if you lack anything, if you're unsure, if, you can't do, if you're feeling inadequate, just ask for wisdom and I'll, I'll give it to you generously. But now he says, if you're going to ask, do it in faith with no doubting, otherwise you're showing yourself to be double-minded and you shouldn't even expect anything from God. But God, I'm, I'm turning to you and I, I don't want to turn that way and I need your wisdom now because I'm, I'm in the Marunda Hospital right here and they've, they've, they've plugged all these things into me and all the machines are beeping and I don't know what's going on. I've got this massive chain pain in my chest. I've got tubes all over the place in me and I can even hear people laughing down in the corridor. They don't know what's going on to me and, and I don't know if I'm going to be a father tomorrow because I don't know if I'm going to be here. I don't know if my... What's, what happens if I die and my wife is by herself and my kids are here? God, I'm, in the center of this trial, Lord, I'm, I'm finding it really hard to pray with the confidence I, I know I should be praying with because I know you're God and I know you can do anything, but I'm really struggling here. Is there any chance that... By your grace, you just might do something for me, God. And turn to Mark for a second. In Mark 9, there's a story. And it goes like this. There's a guy and his, his son, is um, he has an evil spirit. And Jesus is there and this is what happens. Teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. 
And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mutant death spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Even as followers of Jesus, we are so often like this boy's father. We find ourselves in the middle of a trial, and we turn to God. We, we honestly want to turn to God, but we're struggling to pray with the confidence we know that we should be praying and we've, we've been asked to pray with. And we're praying to the God who's rescued us from our sin, who's given us the promise of eternal life. And, and maybe the reason we're struggling is, and this is me very, very often, is because when you're in trial, sometimes it exposes your rotten heart and you start thinking things and you start doing things. And so then even to come to God, sometimes you feel guilty about doing that. Or maybe even the trials come because you caused it yourself through some action. So how do, how do I go to God here? God, I know you're the one that can solve this, but I, I don't even know if I can come to you. And where our thinking is wrong in these situations is that we've forgotten momentarily who God is, how big his grace is, how big his mercy is towards his children. I want to encourage you here because this is not double-mindedness. If you're feeling guilty about this, this is not what double-mindedness means. Okay, poor pronunciation of Greek word time. Okay, so that's a warning. Here it comes. The word James uses for double-minded here is dipsachos. Good, no Greek scholars. Anyway, it's a dead language, so who cares anyway? <laughs> double-minded, dipsachos. And it literally means a person with two souls and two minds inside them. One believes, get this, one disbelieves, one trusts, the other distrusts. The reality is that a double-minded person has their foot in both worlds. One minute they're saying, yeah, I'll trust you, God. Then the minute they say, no, I don't trust you. They're like, like a drunk staggering from one side of the road to the other. And if this describes you, you have every reason to be concerned. I need to be honest with you. If that is you, you have every reason to be concerned and I would love to meet with you. But if you're a person who constantly turns to God and doesn't distrust God, even when you're struggling, that is not a double-minded person. So if you've been concerned about that, don't be concerned about that. We've got to grow, but you are not this double-minded person that God is not going to answer the prayer. And here's some good news for you if that's who you are. What can happen, and I've seen this too, it's happened with me, with the believer, as the grace of God is poured out in their life over and over and over, and as they hold fast to God during these trials, trial after trial after trial, even if they're calling out, I believe, help me with my unbelief, what happens is that they come back to these verses a little bit down the track, and now with joy, they see 
how through the testing of their faith, because of the trials that God in his wisdom has placed in front of them on purpose to refine them, that they are growing in their maturity in Christ. And suddenly the doubts that they were having are starting to dissipate with every new trial that comes their way as God is proving his faithfulness to them. And we can't get to that point without the Lord's help. We can't wake up one morning, go down to the local bookshop and say, hey, um, can you tell me where the self-help section in the lady goes, no, I've already done that joke. Look, it's down the right there and just over the other side and you'll find it. And I said, yeah. And so you pick up Joel Austin's latest book and he says, oh, getting faith. Here's a chapter right here. Speak into your life that you have faith in and you will suddenly have magically faith. It will just come to you just by speaking those words. You have the power to get more faith. Hmm, No. Growth, here's the hard part, folks. Growth in our faith comes from the struggle. It comes from the battle. It comes by going to the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith time after time after time without ever giving up, even when we're struggling, even when it is, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Did you notice that Jesus did not rebuke the man? What did he do? He answered his prayer. This is good news for us. Um, I want to go to verse 13 to 15 first. Thanks, Signor. Verse 13 to 15 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it fully grows, brings forth death. A couple of things here. God can't be tempted with evil himself. We found that out when he went out into the wilderness after he'd been baptized, and Satan tried to tempt him a few times and nothing. Jesus rebuked him, basically, at that time. God doesn't tempt, but as we know, he sends trials And here's the deal. Sometimes the trials and temptations go a little bit hand in hand because we can be in a trial, but then all of a sudden we slide sideways and it turns into a temptation which turns into sin, which turns into death, basically. That's the way it goes. Remember how it went? We can be tempted by our desires. When the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings death, spiritual death. It turns us further away from God. It's not healthy for our Christian lives. But there's good news for those who endure trials. Let's have a look at verse 12. This is such a great verse uh, to be finishing this section with. And it actually sounds like something that Jesus could have uh, used in um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. It sounds like one of the Beatitudes, actually. You know, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And here we have another Beatitude in many respects, Verse 12 says this, Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This is talking about our life. When it's all done, and when we've stood the test, we will receive the crown of life. That doesn't mean he's going to put a crown on our head with jewels because it's nothing to do with that. The literal translation says this, it says, to receive a crown which is life. That's the crown. The crown is life. To receive the crown is eternal life that is given to them that what? Says, love him. What a great description of what a Christian is. Very, very simple one. But those who love Jesus, they receive a crown and that crown is eternal 
life. What a lovely description. And why do we love him? Because he first loved us. And how did he show that he loved us? Because he went to the cross. might be some here who do not know uh, Jesus. This is how it works. That's why we, we're looking through this stuff. You might be thinking, trial, what are you talking about? There's nothing good about trials. There is for the Christian who wants to grow in maturity. Christ came to earth. We messed it up. Totally sinful earth. And so God in his mercy sends his son. We hang him on a cross, but the beautiful plan is being hatched right there because Jesus takes with him the sin of the world on his shoulders to appease the wrath of God that will not tolerate sin. Not for one second will he tolerate sin. So Jesus stands in our place and he takes our sin, our sin, he dies as a sacrifice for us, they bury him, he rises again, and now, because of that, if we believe in Christ who is alive and alive in Christians through the Holy Spirit, when we sin or when something happens, we can come to him and say, Lord, we know we should not have done this thing. We know that this is a sin. Would you forgive us? It's not lip service, it's fair income. And he says, yes, I forgive you. And the Father says, yes. He stands in our relationship between God. What happens is we had no relationship with God. Jesus stands in the middle. He forgives us of our sin. He makes us right with God, his righteousness, not ours. And as a result of that, we're given eternal life, and it's amazing. If you're in a trial right at the moment, I really want to encourage you, read these verses. Do not feel any guilt in these verses unless you are that double minded person, in which case you need to be dealing with that. But if you felt guilt before reading these verses, there is no guilt in this. He loves you. He will answer your prayer. And better than that, he'll continue to mature you if you are willing to endure the trials and look to him. Trials will come. Can you see now how we consider them joy? Why can we? God is good. Let's pray. Now, Lord God, I just um, want to thank you for your word. Sometimes it takes us a little bit of time to sort of sort out what's going on, Lord God, but that's good for us. One thing we do know is that you are good, that there is no sin in you that you have saved us through Jesus' work on the cross and standing in our place when it was us that was the guilty one, Lord God. Father, I just really want to pray right now for those who are right in the middle of trial in this place, Lord God, whether they're young, whether they're old, whether it's sickness, whether it's a situation in a family, Lord God, that you would help them to cry out to you, Lord God, that you would help them turn to you and ask for wisdom and that they might endure this trial, Lord God, and down the track a little bit, see that it is all joy. Father, you are just a great God. Lord Jesus, we love you, we worship you, we thank you for teaching us tonight. In your name, amen.